Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight. And our topic is A Way Forward, Part 7. I promise this is the last of this series. Uh, we started this back on November the 8th, which is over two months ago now. Uh, but as someone pointed out, it's a lot better than the first time around when it took 40 years to get out of Egypt. So uh, we're not doing too badly. And uh, tonight what we're talking about is really... Uh, in this whole series, what we've been talking about in a way forward is the idea that there's a before picture. There's sort of the way that our culture is, the way that we ourselves are. And then there's this beautiful vision of heaven on earth where people will know the Lord. There'll be an increased love and, and so on. And uh, so I've been alluding to that and that that's what we're headed to in this kind of new exodus uh, that needs to happen. And this is described in Scripture, how we'll get there, you know, how, how this new exodus works. Um, but the, uh, we haven't actually talked about any of the Scriptures to say how good it's going to be. So tonight we're going to talk about the Scriptures, some of the Scriptures, not all of them, that say how beautiful it's going to be in the future. And in order to cover these topically, I've taken them out of sequence, so we'll be flipping back and forth in the Bible quite a bit tonight. But I think you'll enjoy it. These are really beautiful scriptures that are close to my heart, all about this grand and glorious future that's predicted for our planet. And so I hope you'll join me on that journey, and let's open with a prayer, good friends. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You are the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us tonight, Lord. Please show us the vision that you are giving us of a grand future with you. Amen. Amen. Sending love to those of you out there online and on the audio and up in Canada and all of those beautiful people who are right here in the room. And um, it's so exciting to be with you and talk about these things. This is a topic close to my heart, and I've actually... I want to do a little cross-reference here. I don't usually cross-reference, but you may or may not know that we actually have an indexer now, a person who goes through every single scripture of the Bible studies and indexes them and has topics and all that kind of stuff, and that's being made available online. And maybe I'll give you more information about that in the future. But thanks to that indexing, I can tell you that we talked about some of these same topics in episode 12, that was before there was even video broadcast, but there's an audio file of it that was called Reciprocal, the Core Message, the End Game. And then in episode 100, oh, that first one was on October 13, 2010. And then episode 100 on July 18, 2012, that was titled In That Day, which is sort of a key phrase about what's going to happen in the future. And then episode 153 on 9-11-13 titled All Nations Shall Serve Him, and episode 223, not that long ago, on May 13th of 2015, titled To Fill the Earth. So those are four Bible studies that cover similar territory, but the, each is unique. And so what is this that's, that's uh, described? And something that I hope will help you, uh, you know, uh, incorporate into yourself what's being said is this idea that Swedenborg has about correspondences. 
and the idea that when scripture, scripture is written in a language of correspondences, that's why Jesus says that his words are spirit and they are life, from which the name of this Bible study comes. And so when scripture mentions Jerusalem, often it means a future state of people who follow the Lord from all kinds of different traditions and so on. So it's not a literal place or a literal group of people. It's people everywhere. It's a sort of a spiritual state that people get into, a state of worshiping the Lord, because Jerusalem was the center of the Old Testament worship. Same goes for names like Israel and Jacob and Zion, and there were portions of the Holy Land called Judah in the south and Ephraim in the north. Judah has to do with love. Ephraim has to do with understanding, particularly of Scripture. And so you'll hear words like that that may sound like, oh, well, this is just geographical. But if you put that different mindset in there, and I'll try to help you with that, uh, perhaps you can see this beautiful vision uh, that I'm so taken with. Let's start at the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21. And... Uh, Let's start right here with John's vision on the Isle of Patmos. This is after Jesus was resurrected, and John was lifted up into the spiritual world, and he saw this beautiful vision. So let's look at the first uh, five verses here in Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Now, it's a very strange reference to no more sea. Don't want you to get too hung up on that. But what uh, Swedenborg says this means is that this is actually about the spiritual world, that there used to be this whole area where people had congregated who were not actually that great, and that sea went away. Uh, go on. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Yes, and even in the literal sense of Scripture, you can see in certain passages that Jerusalem has a spiritual meaning. In Galatians, I believe it is, it describes Jerusalem as the mother of us all. There's two Jerusalems. There's one, the city, and then there's um, another one that's it's called Jerusalem above. That's the mother of us all. And so it's the second one that is talking about this new Jerusalem. And the point here is that it's coming down from God out of heaven. Where is it coming down to? It's coming down into this world. Uh, go on. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Yes, so you notice all that reciprocal talk in there about people will belong to God, God will belong to the people, and God will be dwelling among people. This is what I'm talking about. This is the vision uh, of a beautiful condition in this world that will happen at some point in the future. And what will happen then? And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And Swedenborg explains this as meaning that because there's this character earlier in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, the dragon, the dragon, uh, the, that sort of spiritual force meant by the dragon had been tormenting good people, just tor a torment. But the Lord will, that will end. And so there won't be, that's what the wiping away the tears from their eyes, be no more death or sorrow, no more pain, because that challenge, that constant assault 
uh, from evil and falsity is going to go away. It's not going to be there anymore. It's amazing. It, it's still alive and well today, I would submit. But there is going to be a time when that goes away. And look at verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Mm, that's what we're talking about. All things new. Yep. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Yes. And uh, Swedenborg explains that write, for these words are true and faithful, coming right here at the end of the Bible, at the end of the book of Revelation, uh, means that we should believe what is really meant by this prophecy and keep it in mind because it's very important for us to be encouraged and to know that there are good things coming up. Uh, these words are true and faithful. These are, this is, I'm not lying. This is not some fairy tale or Pollyanna pie in the sky thing or whatever. This is going to happen. Uh, there's going to be this new Jerusalem come down and uh, the, the pain and horror will be you know, laid aside and things will be much better. Okay, next one. Okay, now, if you turn to the left through your Bible, you'll go back to the four Gospels and then keep going until you get into the Minor Prophets. So just to the left of Matthew, you'll get into Malachi and then go one more and you hit Zechariah. Okay, Z-E-C-H, Zechariah. I want to go to chapter 2 in there. Zechariah chapter 2. Uh, that first passage that we read from Revelation 21, to me, said, it said many different things about the reciprocal relationship with the Lord, uh, but it's especially to my mind about the Lord being present. You know, the tabernacle, God with us, we're with the Lord, He's with us. That's one of the main features of this future glorious picture, is that the Lord will be present. And here's another way that the prophets put it in verses 4 and 5 of Zechariah 2. It just jumps into the middle of a sentence, so just bear with it. Who said to him, run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem... Oh, and let me hit pause right there. See, Jerusalem, there's a future, there's a prophecy about a future. In fact, what's just happened in the action above is that the prophet saw an angel standing there with a measuring line in his hand, and uh, so there's a prophecy of the future. And when it says Jerusalem, it's not talking about the physical city. It's talking about this condition, this future, uh, positive future for the human race on this planet. So Jerusalem, what will that be like? Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. Yes, and men have to do with wisdom and livestock have to go, do with positive emotions. In other words, the minds will have good things in them. The hearts will have good things in them of the people at that time. And why is that? For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Mm. Yeah, so that's quite a picture, a, a picture of a future condition in which uh, there are people, there's, there's wisdom, there's good emotions among people who are gathered together, and the Lord is so present that He's a wall of fire all around the people, fire having to do with love, and glory having to do with truth, the glory in her midst. Very interesting image of this kind of fire on the outside and the, and the, the light of that glory in, on the inside. This is a picture of what it's going to look like 
when the Lord is so present. So what that says to me is that there will be love and truth in great abundance. This presence of the Lord will make this sense of love and truth being very present with the human race. Okay, so we're rather fond of hell these days. What will happen to all that nice hell that we've got going on? Well, let's look at the end of Revelation, jump to the back again. As I say, we're jumping all over the place tonight. Go to Revelation 22, even farther toward the end. And this is just after the chapter we just read. So again, this is about the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, coming into this world. And an important detail that we kind of skipped over pretty quickly is that it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And one of my thoughts for the evening that I'll say now, because I'm afraid I'll forget it later on, is that I think the word is the Lord is the love story of the Lord and the human race. It's the story, it's the best love story ever, where the Lord courted the human race and eventually married us, you know. And so that's what it's talking about, that bride coming down. And this is one of the characteristics. If we look, look at 22, verse 14 and 15, where is evil in this picture? Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Okay, so doing the commandments is how you get into the city. Whatever this is, this glorious thing that's going to happen, uh, this spiritual thing, doing his commandments is how you get your ticket to get in there. You have the right to the tree of life. You can enter through the gates into that city. And who doesn't make it in? But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Yes. Now, that's talking about different categories of evil and falsity. Again, that that will be pushed to the outside. We get to choose whether we want to stay with the evil and falsity, or we want to go with the, uh, you know, with the commandments. Uh, but you see what I mean? There's a pushing back in this picture Evil gets pushed to the periphery. It's outside of this thing. It's, not, it's no longer downtown. It's no longer central. It's pushed to the periphery in this picture, if you see what I mean. There's another scripture along those lines. In the middle of your Bible, you might hit the Psalms. You might hit Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah's to the right of the Psalms. I want to go to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. I actually want to read this entire chapter because it has many beautiful things. Isaiah is just so great for all, all these kind of prophecies. It can be bewildering, but it says beautiful things. So just unfocus your eyes a little bit in your spirit and, and think about what this says here, this whole chapter. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Okay, now, so the desert... So this is a future prediction of what's going to happen. And again, don't take it literally as physical wilderness. And, you know, that may happen too. I don't know. But it's talking about a place where there's no truth and there's no love is going to all of a sudden blossom and be wonderful and everything. And I won't go into the spiritual meaning of rose. I don't know who would have a name like that, but go on. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. Hmm. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. 
Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Yes, okay, so this is a salvation that the Lord is going to effect. And then what will it be like? Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And if you follow this whole idea of correspondences, that's not physical eyes and physical ears. That's talking about a condition of our heart and mind where we can't see the truth or we can't hear it, uh, but we're going to be open to those things. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. Mm. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Yeah, there will be an abundance of truth where there wasn't truth before. So much more truth, so much more understanding, so much more clarity is going to burst forth. How are we doing? It's pretty beautiful, huh? Go on. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. I enjoy the fact that in the original King James, and I was laughing the other day about calling the old King James, nothing's really called the old King James, but anyway, uh, the jackals are called dragons. They're dragons. In the habitation of dragons where each lay, there'll be grass with reeds and rushes, and go on. This is important. A highway shall be there. Oh. And a road. And it shall be called the highway of holiness. The highway of holiness, huh? The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others, whoever walks the road, although a fool shall not go astray. Yes, so this will be a clear path, but it's a way of holiness. And so, in other words, what did we just read in Revelation 22? That those who do the commandments are part of the thing, but if you're really attached to evil and that's your way of life or something, uh, that's going to be pushed to the side. A similar sort of sense here. Look at verse 9. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall, sorry, it shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Yeah, okay, and lion and ravenous beast there meaning... Uh, negative emotions in us or that sort of hostile, predatory character. Uh, nope, that, that, nope, that's not going to be there. This highway is a way of holiness. That's going to be laid aside. Go on. This is a nice picture here, actually. Look at verse 10. Hmm. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. That would be nice. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Wow, okay, so the sorrow and the sighing, again, wasn't that like what we read in Revelation 21? The Lord will wipe away all the tears, like this sorrow and sighing shall flee away. There'll be this everlasting joy on your head. It sounds nice. And you can see that this Zion is not talking about a physical mountain or a physical place but a spiritual state uh, where people will come into this glorious... Now, that's a beautiful vision. That's what we're talking about. And so the exodus that we've been talking about in the earlier uh, 
you know, episodes of this, these seven parts of the way forward, uh, have, and you don't need to have seen those to get something out of this, I hope, but uh, they were all about the Exodus story as a description of how you get from where we are now to this beautiful state. What we're talking about in the seventh one here is what the beautiful state looks like and, and what can motivate us to get there. And so those were all scriptures that came to mind about the thought of the presence of the Lord sort of pushing hell back and kind of reordering things. There's so many details in there. They're just wonderful. And uh, the knowledge of the Lord. Let's look at these great passages. Uh, Just turn to the left in Isaiah and go back to Isaiah 11. Look at Isaiah 11, verse 9. We'll just grab this individual verse out of here. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's right. Uh, The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, water pretty effectively covers the sea. There's not too much. Oh, there's a patch. You know, no, it it, it covers. Water covers the sea. Uh, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Now, I would submit that currently there are, you know, maybe some two billion people who are Christians and so on. I don't know that there's just like overwhelming knowledge of the Lord, especially since they think there's three persons of the Trinity and one died for the other because he was mad or something. You know, it's, it's not like overwhelming knowledge of the Lord as, a, as one God and a being of love. Uh, but in this future condition, people will be straight about who the Lord is. They'll, they'll understand who the Lord is and, and that knowledge, the earth will be full of that, full of that knowledge. You see a similar thing in Jeremiah. If you turn to the right, Jeremiah is the next book that comes up. I want to go to 31. Uh, I love Jeremiah 31, 31. Let's read from 31, 31 down to 31, 34. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. And there's your key word about, this is what we're talking about. Those days, that they're, they're still coming. We're not quite there yet, but the days are coming. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Oh, guess what? I didn't have my thing on this whole time. Oh, my. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Your audio fixer. Yes, the audio fixer. We'll save the day. Uh, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Oh, That's what we're talking about, the Exodus, right? So there was a covenant that the Lord made with people to lead them out of Egypt, but something happened to that covenant. What was that? My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. There's more sort of marriage language there that the the Lord wanted, wanted to marry the people or did marry the people, but the covenant got broken. And so he says what the covenant will be in the future. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Okay, and you notice the reciprocal sense in there again? Mm-hmm. That we'll, we'll, the Lord will be our God, we'll be the Lord's people. 
and the Lord. Now, he doesn't say there's going to be a new law. It's the same law. The difference is where he's going to write it. He's going to write it in our minds and our hearts. Mind and hearts. It's reminiscent of that wall of fire and the glory in the midst and so on. Uh, the Lord will put his law in our minds and hearts, and that's how we'll be, uh, you know, his people. And then look at this about the knowledge. What's going to happen about knowledge of the Lord at that time? No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Presumably we'll finally be able to stop having Bible studies at that point because there'll be no point in somebody <laughs> telling somebody else about the Lord, you know. Uh, they'll all know me. You know, so there's no, no point. Oh yeah, we know that. You know. So uh, that's beautiful. No one will teach others saying, know the Lord for they'll all know me. And interesting, is it from the greatest of them down to the least? No. It's from the least of them to the greatest. Wow, bottom up. From the least of them to the greatest. It's bottom up. The, the, the least of them really, really know the Lord. Uh, that's the way that it works. So that's a beautiful prophecy, isn't it? About the, the, the couple of passages there about the knowledge of the Lord. I should point out that in Ezekiel, at least 60 times and probably more like 70, there are all these things that say this and that and the other will happen and then they will know that I am the Lord. You know, it's just a refrain all through the book of Ezekiel. So knowledge of the Lord will increase. Uh, another aspect of this, let's turn to the right and see if you can find the book of Joel. You go through Ezekiel and Daniel as you turn to the right. And then Hosea and Joel. It's the second one into the Minor Prophets. Want to go to Joel chapter 2 because another little nice detail that we're given is that not only will knowledge of the Lord greatly increase along with the presence of the Lord and sense of love and wisdom and so on and the driving of evil back, but uh, spiritual experiences will also be very widespread in this future condition. Look at 2 verses 28 and 29 there. And it shall come to pass afterward. Afterward, that's what we're talking about, afterward, okay that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Yes, so the Lord pours out of the spirits on everybody, male, female, young, old, wherever you are in the hierarchy everybody's having spiritual experiences. That's what that means to me. Uh, along with this increased presence of the Lord and greater knowledge of the Lord, there's also these spiritual experiences that increase. It sounds nice to me. Uh, I want to dip quickly into an earlier part of the Old Testament. Uh, if you go about halfway back to Genesis, see if you can find First Kings there. It's to the right of the books of Samuel, to the left of the Chronicles. I want to go to 1 Kings chapter 8. Some of you know that I love this passage so much. It's about the dedication of the temple. And this too, all these things. You see, the whole of the word is a love story of, of the Lord according the human race. And it's full of these pictures of what it's going to look like and how great it's going to be. Look at 1 Kings 8 verses 9 
to 11. This is talking about the setting up of the temple. And at the center of the temple was that Ark of the Covenant that had the tables of the commandments in there. And that's what we need. Blessed are those who do his commandments. They have the right to the tree of life and everything. Tell me about those commandments there. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone, which Moses put there at Horeb, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt. Ah, see, come out of the land of Egypt, make a covenant with the Lord. So that happened in the scriptural times, but I think a big version of that has scarcely even started to happen yet. But you go out of Egypt, so to speak, and make this covenant with the Lord. Go on. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. Mm, this is that same spirit I think we were just reading about in Joel. This cloud fills the house of the Lord. So that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Yeah, I think it's the same thing we're talking about. The glory of the Lord so fills it that the ministers can't minister. They, they can't deal uh, because the presence of the Lord is so overwhelming. But it's okay. We don't even need them anymore because nobody needs to teach anybody about, about the Lord. Everybody already knows. Uh, so I think that's maybe talking about the same thing there. Okay, good. All right. And as a result of this sort of magnetic event that's going on, Evil's pushed to the side. There's greater increase of love, presence of the Lord, spiritual experiences, and so on. People from all over are going to be drawn to this thing. That's taught again and again. I'll just pick four passages that indicate that. Uh, the easiest way to find this one is to go back to Matthew in the New Testament and then head left into the end of the Old Testament, just like we did before, to find Zechariah there again. Want to go to Zechariah chapter 8. It's the second to last book in the Old Testament. I want to read 8 and let's start at verse 18 and read to the end of that chapter there, if you will. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Wow. Okay, now what is going on there? Well, you may know that the Old Testament is full of these laws of how people were going to do this and that, and they had to celebrate these various feasts at various times. But what it's saying here is that all these fasts, fasts of the fourth month, the fasting, you know, uh, not eating food on the fifth month, the seventh month, and the tenth month are going to be what? They're going to be horrible? They're going to be self-deprivation? No. They're going to be joy and gladness, cheerful feasts. How can fasting be a cheerful feast? How, how can you, you know, wow, what, what's going on there? And love, truth, and peace. Can that be bad? Love, truth, and peace. Uh, that's what these fasts are going to be like at this future time. This is a prophet in the Old Testament talking about what's going to happen eventually. And look at this. Let's go on. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Peoples shall yet come, inhabitants of many cities. Mm. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord, 
and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will go also. I myself will go also. All these different people in all these different cities are going to say, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we go pray to the Lord? You know, these are all different kinds of places, all over the place. Go on. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. So these other nations, and nations are often explained by Swedenborg to mean different religious perspectives, different doctrines, or what, you know, different ways of life. All these people in all these different circumstances are drawn to this because they realize, hey, there's something going on in this quote-unquote Jerusalem. Go on. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from every language of the nations... Oh, every language. Every language of the nations, okay. ...shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This magnetic force, right? Ten people to every individual, saying, grabbing a hold of that sleeve and saying, Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, we, we want to go with you. We've heard that God is with you. So there's this magnetism, the drawing people in. Isn't that powerful? And that's just one of these four scriptures, and there are many, many more. But uh, let's look, let's turn to the left and go back through the Minor Prophets, back to Isaiah. It's to the left of Jeremiah, if my left and right make any sense. It's such an unorthodox way to describe how to get around the Bible. But what can you do? Isaiah chapter 2. Uh, verses 2 to 4. Listen to this and tell me if uh, people are going to be coming from all over. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. In the latter days, okay? In the latter days, okay? That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. So you mean just like some... Nations? All nations. All nations. Many. Huh. All nations shall come. Wow. Hmm. All nations shall come to it. Go on. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Yeah, there's that magnetic thing, this word of the Lord, this truth coming forth. Okay, go on. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. Mm. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Yes, I'm certainly hoping that that's literally true in terms of literal nations and literal war. Uh, also, doesn't it fit the have, have churches ever battled each other? I forget. Do denominations ever get upset with one another? Has there ever been actual bloodshed about that stuff? Wow. Okay, but the, no, that's not going to happen anymore. And then I like this little verse 5. We might as well read that too. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Yes, let's walk in the light of the Lord. That's what we're talking about, right? This light is going to increase. We're going to see what we're doing. Let's walk in that direction, and all these nations are going to come together. Okay, turn to the left and go out in the Psalms. I want to get to Psalm 82. Psalm 82, verse 8, very quick little verse, but listen to this. 
Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. You shall inherit all nations. All nations. Okay? This is what gives me the impression that people are going to be coming together from every quarter and, and all over the place and from different spiritual perspectives being drawn to this thing because there's this amazing irresistible presence of God there. Okay, and turn to the left and go to Psalm 72. 72. Let's read verses 6 to 11. This is about the Lord. He shall come down like rain upon the grass hmm. before mowing, hmm. like showers that water the earth. Well, that's nice. Listen to this. In his days, the righteous shall flourish. Wow. And abundance. Okay. Now, do the righteous always <coughs> flourish now? Does that just like automatically happen that righteous people get way ahead and nobody else has a fair shot? No. It's kind of the other way around, it seems like. But look at that. That's what's going to happen in, the, in these days of the Lord. Oh, now the righteous will start, start succeeding in a new way. In his days the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. Yes. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea. Okay, so just not that much dominion? Just from sea to sea? Okay. And from the river to the ends of the earth. Okay, just from the river to the ends of the earth. Okay, that, that's all that the Lord will be in, in charge of. Okay. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him. Now, I really like that because the, the wilderness is where there's, there's no truth, you know, where there's a deprivation, a lack of all this. And yet they go, whoa, it's the Lord. There he is. And what will happen to his enemies? And his enemies will lick the dust. Oh, that's right. The, okay. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Aha, uh -huh, they'll offer gifts to the Lord. All these different kings will come and offer gifts. Uh huh. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Okay, so I think you said, dear read reader, that all kings mm -hmm. will fall down before him and all nations mm -hmm. will serve him. Mm -hmm. It's not like a little, little group or something, you know? This is a big sweeping movement that incorporates all kinds of different people in it. And that might remind you, let's go back to Revelation all the way at the end of the right of your book. You can see I've sorted these all out topically, uh, and that's why we're jumping all over the place. I want to go to Revelation 11 and read verse 15 there, because you get another articulation of this same kind of point. This is John's vision of what's going to happen in the, in the future. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Yes. Okay. So the kingdoms of this world have become kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Ever. And that brings us to our next point, which is that when this happens, it's not going to be a little flash in the pan. It's going to last forever. This is a permanent improvement that we're talking about here. He will reign forever and ever. 
look at the following passages that deal with that. Uh, let's go back to Isaiah in the middle of your Bible. Thank you, good and patient friends. I want to go to chapter 33. Let's read 33, verse 20, and ask yourself again, really, is it really going to last forever when this wonderful thing happens and the Lord is there and all these people are drawn in? Really? That's really going to last forever? 33, 20. Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. See, Zion, Jerusalem, all, all talking about the same thing here, okay? Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle that will not be taken down. Will not be taken down. Didn't it say in that first reading, Revelation 21, the tabernacle of God is among us. This is a tabernacle that will not be taken down. Not one of its stakes will ever be removed, nor will any of its cords be broken. It's not like there'll be attrition in the east wing, so you, you know, and so you, you build over here. It's like a rolling house of cards. No, not one of its cords or stakes will ever be you know, removed or broken. It, it just will never, never happen. This is a permanent condition. If you need any more scriptures on that, go to the right. We'll go through Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Get to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. This great uh, prophecy in verses 13 and 14. I'm telling you, this is what the Bible's about. 13 and 14. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. So just some people, right? But other people would serve somebody else? All. All people, nations, and languages should serve him. That's right. And But would that just be temporary? His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. That's right. Won't pass away, won't be destroyed. And these words are true and faithful. Like, believe it, because the Lord said it. And he knows. He knows how this is going to go. And this is how it's going to be. So, uh, and, oh, let's go back to Isaiah, to the left again, uh, chapter 9. Look at verses 6 and 7. It's about the Lord coming into the world. And what does it say about this? Um, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And here's the key phrase. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So it's not only going to be an everlasting kingdom, it's going to be an ever-increasing everlasting kingdom. So the increase of his government and peace... There will be no end. Go on. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Mm. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's right. 
That's his desire to be one with us, to love the human race. So his zeal is going gonna, is gonna to do this. The increase of his government and peace will be no end. Okay, so this is going to last forever. Is this a pretty nice picture? Pretty nice picture. Not bad, right? Uh, it, it's not only going to be wonderful, it's not only going to last forever, it's going to increase without end. And so I want to end. If you just turn over the next page, I think, or two, get to Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, in a way, 11 sort of sums up everything we're talking about here. Now, some of this imagery will be a little bizarre, but I'll try to help you understand what Swedenborg says about it. And we might even read chapter 12 just for a fun little victory lap or something. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> From the top of 11? From the top of 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Oh, you see, Jesse was David's father. So this has to do with the idea of David and Jesus being in that lineage of David and so on. Go on. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And in my translation, the branch is capitalized like it's a reference to Jesus, the mm -hmm. Messiah, right? A branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And I like that word rest. Spirit of the Lord's going to come on him and stay there. It's going to rest upon him. And the what's that spirit like? The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Excuse me. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Mm. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. That's neat. Yeah. Okay. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. That has to do with the power of divine truth over these falsities and so forth. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. So you see at least one of those images, like the wolf, the lamb is young, right? The leopard will lie down with the kid, that's young. The calf and the young lion, the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Swedenborg says this is all about uh, the increase of innocence and trusting in the Lord that is going to happen at this future time. Go on, because there's more about that in the next verse. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Yeah, now you would ordinarily be upset if your child put their hand in a poisonous snake's hole or something, you know, in the ground. Uh, but uh, that's not going to be a problem. That's just not going to be a problem. Why not? Oh, they, this is verse 9 that we read before. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So that adds another dimension to that full of the knowledge of the Lord, that that knowledge of the Lord is actually going to help you be innocent and it's going to help you be protected from evil that you're not worried about it. The wolf is lying down. The, all those other things have been tamed by our repentance and everything. Go on. Here's a phrase, in that day. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. Yeah, there we go again. 
Okay. Who, sh who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Yeah, there it's point blank. The Gentiles are going to seek the Lord, right? Go on. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. Yeah, what's going on? This is a second exodus, right? He's going to put not only Egypt, but all these other places as well. The Lord's going to call his people together from all these different places again. Go on. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel. Oh, the outcasts of Israel will be invited too. That's great. And gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the four earth. Four corners of the earth. So he's gathering people of all these different types together. Good. And, uh, okay, uh, that was um, all, Swedenborg says those last verses mean that uh, those who have had a false understanding, misunderstandings or false beliefs, but have not been engaged in evil, will approach the Lord. So all these people who are coming from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, the islands of the sea, these are, again, it's a picture of that kind of what I think of as multi-denominational people from all different kinds of religious approaches, different ideas, different mindset uh, being drawn. If there wasn't like active evil in it, they're just drawn to the Lord uh, from all over. Then this next bit, 13 to 15, has a very interesting meaning. Let's read these verses and then I'll explain a little bit if I can. It sounds just mysterious and bizarre. Also the envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Now, as I was mentioning earlier, Judah is the south of the Holy Land there, and Ephraim is the north. Okay, and the envy of Ephraim will depart, and the adversaries of Judah will be cut off. Go on. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Well, that'll be nice. You, you know, there was a time when it was all one kingdom, but then it split into two and there's a lot of tension and they got carried off at different times and so on. There was a lot of tension. There was a whole different lineage of the kings in either place. And yet that's going to come to an end, uh, whatever that means. And that has something to do with the heart is Judah. Ephraim is the mind and particularly the understanding of Scripture. That's what Ephraim means. Those things won't be out of sync with each other. The heart and the understanding of Scripture won't be out of sync. Go on. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab, and the people of Ammon shall obey them. Okay, Hank, hold that in your mind. Let's read one more verse and then try to explain it. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the Sea of Egypt. With his mighty wind, he will shake his fist over the river and strike it in the seven streams and make men cross over dry shod. Wait a minute, that's the Exodus again, isn't it? Like, he's, oh, he's going to do it again. Bang, get the water out of the way so you can walk across again. This is another Exodus. You know, this is long after the first Exodus. These are prophets about things that will eventually happen. And what Swedenborg explains does this mean? You see... 
Okay, so Ephraim and Judah will stop fighting with each other. They're not going to vex each other. They're not going to harass each other anymore. In fact, they're going to start working together to deal with the Philistines over to the west and the people of the east and Edom and Moab and the children of Ammon will obey them. Well, these are all different falsities that have been assaulting uh, religion, spirituality from various different directions. And when the heart and the understanding of Scripture start to work together, they're, going to be able, they're, they're not going to be fooled by this stuff anymore because not only is the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. They're not going to be fooled anymore. Oh, well, oh, oh, I was fooled by what you said. No. They're going to know. The way Swedenborg puts it is he says, the church will then understand the word and shake off falsities. They'll easily be able to shake off falsities because they understand what the word is actually talking about. So together, Judah and Ephraim will be able to handle the Philistines. There's no problem with this or that, all these different kinds of um, false perspectives that have been plaguing them. It's just like that wiping away the tears because the dragon's not attacking anymore. You know, There's a strengthening of that group in the Lord, in the truth and in love so that they're not bothered in the same way. And the Lord will... will um, Call them out. Wasn't that amazing? That What does he say? He destroys the tongue of the Egyptian sea with his mighty wind. Does he smite his fist on the river or something like that and break it into seven streams and people go over dry shod. Not even their shoes get wet from crossing over there. And final verse there. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. Yeah. There'll be an exodus from Assyria that's just like the exodus from Egypt. Assyria means rationalizations, false sort of syllogisms and logic and whatever. Uh, might, might even be like science gone wrong or whatever. Uh, that uh, there will be a highway for the remnant of the people. Uh, Swedenborg says that falsities will not, what this means is falsities won't do harm anymore. They, they just won't, they won't be harmful. And that's what it also means about the, the wolf and the cobra and all that. So there's no problem. You know, people will know how to deal with those things. Doesn't it say in that longer ending of Mark that people will be able to pick up snakes and they won't be hurt and all It's the same kind of picture that in, in the future, this will get so strong that people won't be plagued by evils in these same ways. So why don't we tear through chapter 12 just for a little fun. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. The Lord wasn't ever really angry, but he seemed that way when we were facing the wrong direction. Go on. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Mm. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I think the wells of salvation are what we happen to be trying to draw water out of this evening. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Oh, and there it is again. Everybody knows. No secret. It's known in all the earth. Go on. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, 
for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Yep. I'll be a wall of fire all around her. I will be the glory in her midst. Um, so, uh, what are we talking about there? That uh, I think part of what's going on here, as I say, is that the word is this story, this love story of how the Lord is courting us and bringing us along. And this is where he wants the love story to go. This is how close he wants to be with us, that he wants to be reciprocally conjoined with us, where we're in the Lord, the Lord's in us. And that presence of the Lord gives us all this clarity, all this love. It pushes hell back. There's knowledge of the Lord everywhere. People are having spiritual experiences. Uh, this central group becomes sort of magnetically attractive to other people. They're coming from all over the place saying, hey, what's going on? I think that you've, you've got something of the Lord here. This is very exciting. And this new situation that occurs is going to last forever and increase forever. It's a permanent condition. And these words are faithful and true. We should, we should believe it. This will be a new exodus. In fact, this is going to be the real exodus. It's going to be the most important thing that's ever occurred on this planet. That mere thing that we've laid out this evening is, I think, all that Scripture is talking about. That's all it's talking about is a complete transformation of our planet into a completely different type of beast than it is right now. I'm not saying there aren't good and loving people doing good and wonderful loving things, but they, the dragon is still there. There's still attack going on. There's har harassment and there's problems and, and all kinds of mental and physical diseases and problems and, and everything. And it sounds like uh, that's going to go away and going to keep going away more and more and more over time. So I thought I should favor you, friends, rather than just with a little sketchy impression that I've given you in the first six of these sessions, with a little more detail from Scripture itself about the idea that it's going to be good. It's going to be good, you know? And so what I hope to have laid out in these seven sessions is the way forward from where we are now, where we are as individuals, where we are as a society, a culture, and everything. How do we get to that beautiful place? It looks a little different to me when I look through that lens than the current condition that's going on right now on our planet. So how do we get there from here? That's why the Lord has had me lay out this, this way forward. Thank you, good friends. Will you join me for a closing prayer? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you bowed the heavens and came down into this world. You were glorified so that all of you rose from the tomb. You are the one God of heaven and earth. And yet we don't really know you yet. We thank you, Lord, for a glimpse of where you're taking the human race. Encourage us, Lord. Help us to know what our little piece of this forward movement is. Uh, let us believe these words, for they are faithful and true. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. It's our first step toward that beautiful vision. <laughs>